Hey there, howdy! I'm back! Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for telling friends that you hang out on the other side of Texas. I'm your host, Jay West Texas Leeson, across the way, Queenie Catherine Wilkes. Pushing the buttons, working the dolls, making everything happen here in the studios where Buddy Holly became famous. Want to tell you right off the bat, we will not take your calls. We will take your texts. If you've got some correspondence along the way, I'm glad to take a look at it. Got it pulled up right here. 806-745-5800. That's the number to text into. 806 745 5800 kicking off a new week here on the other side of Texas. We have Breitbart managing Breitbart Texas managing editor Brandon Darby in studio. I was on vacation last week and really spotty reception. And the one thing I begin to see is a lot about migrant children being separated from their parents and as I got out of the mountains, came down the mountains, and drove home on Saturday, I began to understand what a monumental story this is right now in the American conscience. And for purposes of this program, we like to cover things on this part of the Texas, on the western part of Texas, and rural parts of Texas. And this is an explosive story. So with a disclaimer... Brandon Darby and I are very good friends, and I respect him in a lot of ways. I respect men who put their lives towards things that do matter, that have a lot of weight in the long sense of things, and to be pious to say in the eternal sense of things. And Brandon Darby has poured out a great deal of his life and his attention and his efforts on the Texas border. 2014, it was found that children were being kept in facilities. Brandon Darby, Breitbart, Texas, used his platform to break that story, to bring it to the American conscience. As I recall, turned a whole legislature on the issue. And as I was driving back into Lubbock, I thought, on Monday, we got to punt everything. We got to get Brandon Darby on. And uh, he's so gracious to be here. My friend of years, my friend of tears, Brandon Darby, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. Well, I'm glad to have this hour with you as we go forward here on the other side of Texas. Uh, This whole thing is such an octopus in so many people's minds. There are a lot of political ins and outs. There's a lot of misunderstanding as to how long... A, a policy has been in place. What I think, how I think I would like to begin is by playing for the folks listening. John Kelly, March 2017, and let you respond, Brandon Darby. This is John Kelly, who now runs the White House underneath Donald Trump. This is John Kelly, sitting Homeland Security Secretary, March 2017. Let's let him frame the discussion, and then you go from there. Considering a new new initiative that would separate children from their parents if they tried to enter the United States illegally. 
Uh, let me start by saying I would do almost anything to deter uh, the people from Central America uh, uh, to getting on this very, very dangerous network that brings them up through Mexico into the United States. And I would underline that the Mexicans are, uh, are after this network in the same way we are. It's extremely dangerous. Uh, I wouldn't say 100%, but certainly in the high 90%, and this is uh, by the uh, social service organizations that, that inform me from Central America that the vast majority of the young women, all women, are sexually abused along this but, but my point but is... Let me, just, let me just be precise. Right. If you get some young kids who are coming in, managed to sneak into the United States right. with their parents, our Department of Homeland Security personnel going to separate the children from their moms and dads. We, we have tremendous experience in dealing with unaccompanied minors. Uh, we turn them over to HHS, uh, and they do a very, very good job of either putting them in kind of foster care or linking them up with parents or family members in the United States. Yes, I am considering, in order to deter uh, more movement along this terribly dangerous network, I am considering uh, exactly that. They will be well cared for as we deal with their parents. But you understand how that looks to the average person uh, who is... You it's know, more important to me, Wolf, to, to try to keep people off of this awful network. Okay, so that's what you got John Kelly saying then under Homeland Security. Brandon Darby, I want to ask you, there's a lot of outrage right now about this issue. That how dare how dare American immigration take links to separate children from their parents. This is gonna be a very a very difficult, convoluted issue as we go forward, but we have the whole hour to go through it. Um how long, John Kelly says there in March 2017 it's going on, give us a reference for how long this has really been going on, separating child migrants from their parents. Well, first off, let me just say I, I, uh, I re absolutely reject the entire premise and framing of this question. Uh, I think it's... Of it's my question? Of or? your question, and I reject the the premise of what John Kelly said. Okay. Uh, and I'll tell you why. Um, what happens to me if I, if I don't pay a speeding ticket, okay, and I have a warrant out for my arrest, and I get pulled over for running a red light, and I have my child in the car with me, what, what happens to me? The police officer comes up to my car. He asks me if I have any warrants. He runs my paperwork, and he determines I do have a warrant. And then that police officer is going to come up to me and say, Sir, I have to take you to jail. Do you have a relative you can call nearby to come and pick up your child? And if I say no, does that police officer say, You know what? Never mind, buddy. F screw the warrant. Just go on down the road. No. He's going to say, You're coming to jail, and I have to call social services to come and pick up your child. That's what happens when you go to jail. So... What's going on on the border, and it's not a defense of it, it's, not, it's just like, here are the facts. What's going on is that we are unable to keep parents with children if the parents get incarcerated and put into jail. What's happening is that our immigration law says those people have to go to jail and get prosecuted. That's the law. That's called enforcing the law. Now, in the Obama years, in 2009, he began to get away from doing that, okay? In 2014, he solidified and formalized 
the, the administration did. It was actually Jay Johnson who put out the memo on November 20th, 2014. And he solidified that they would not be prosecuting uh, people who came with children, thereby not having to separate them because they can't incarcerate them together. Why can't they incarcerate them together? Well, I'll remind you that the same people who are outraged now that people are separated protested and led a major movement in, at the end of the Bush years, the mo George W., uh, to make sure that all of the facilities that house families together, immigration facilities, were shut down. Okay, so here we have, we have the American public saying you can't, you can't house family, put families in jail together, right? What was their reasoning, though? Uh, well, the reasoning, there were court orders that, that said you can't. There, was, there were issues that had come up with um, sometimes the people who crossed the border were coming with kids who weren't their own. Um, there were issues that came up with feeling like it was cruel and inhumane. Um, and so what began to happen was if you, if you were going to prosecute someone for illegally crossing the border, you cannot keep them with their child. That's where we are. So what Obama did was he said, well, I'm not going to change the, I'm not going to work with Congress to change the law. I'm just not going to pay attention to that part of the law. And we're going to have a three-tiered system. Only the first tier, the worst of the worst people who cross the border are going to get prosecuted. Everybody else just let them out. Well, consequently, what happened uh, in the middle of his term, closer to the end, 70% through, is we had a surge of minors and of family units come into the country. That's because it sucks to live in, in, in South America or central, most places in South America, in Central America, and in parts of Mexico. And that's called a push factor. Well, what the Obama policies did, uh, I say policies, what Obama did when he chose not to uh, enforce certain aspects of our law was he created what was called a pull factor. So once the word got out, everyone came. That's what happened. So leading what, up to 2014. Uh, leading up to 2014, continuing through 2014, decreasing a little bit after that, decreasing to almost zero at the beginning of the Trump administration, and then rocketing back up to Obama-era numbers where we are now, uh, even under Trump. And the reason that is is because uh, people realized that Trump's rhetoric didn't match the policies on the border and that they would get to stay. Um, and that's what they're trying to combat. Now, I don't, I personally... I don't like the family separation. I don't think we should engage in the family separation. I think it's probably extremely unhealthy for children. Uh, I also have more respect for people in Central America and Mexico than to act like like they're vegetables who need us to oversee everything that you know it's like if they're making a choice to come too right it's not they're adults as well sure um, it, albeit they're making a coerced choice right with the situation that they're in uh, I think. You know, f from their home countries. From many of them are yes. That's horrible situations that they live in. It's not like 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 us living in a happy suburb and then we just decide to go and take a journey. There's a reason they're taking the journey, right? There's multiple reasons they're taking the journey. But the point is, is that when it comes to separations, um, it's not a new policy. It's just a I guess you could say a new policy to actually enforce our existing laws. So what we're left with. And this is where I'm going to cut the left up. And, and I'll remind the listeners that not too long ago I was cutting the right up. When those people were coming on the caravan that everyone talked about, I mm -hmm. defended those people. Did that I, on this I, program. I, I did it on this program. I did it as, with every platform I had. And I reminded people that those people were not breaking the law. 
that those people were coming here. They were following the law. Our law, it's not a loophole. It's not a provision. It's not some secret little little back small print. It's a major feature of our asylum laws, right? Um, that people can come here and request asylum. And so those people were actually following the laws. They're not illegal aliens, illegal army of invaders. None of that was true. And I called the right out for that. And I pointed out that Republican politicians were pointing fingers and putting out press releases and attacking those migrants because they wanted people mad at them rather than mad at the Republican politicians who didn't change our immigration laws and didn't make any efforts to change our immigration laws. Um, so for their own failure to act on what they say they believe, they were trying to blame a low-income migrant rather than uh, accept responsibility on themselves. Yeah. That said, I'm going to say the same thing here about Democrats. Now, I'll remind you that in 2009 and 2010, Democrats had control of this government. Um, they had so much control that they were able to push through ACA. Some people would say ram a the Obamacare down our throats. The left would say push through ACA. That's what they did. They had enough power to do that, which means they had enough power to do something substantial on immigration. However, they didn't try to. And, I mean, that's a problem, right? They didn't even make an effort to do it. Why? Uh, immigration laws are immigration laws. The, the laws about if you prosecute people, you can't, they, you can't put their kid in, in jail with them. Like that, those laws were on the books. Why didn't they change that? And, and so, so here we are in a situation where you have a Republican Party and a Democrat Party. And both parties, leadership of both parties, lawmakers in both parties, have absolutely failed to address this issue. And someone out there can be like, well, the Republicans tried and the Gang of Eight tried. Not really. They actually didn't. Um, and then you can see, well, the Democrats tried, and we can all do this spinning and, and polemic, pointing fingers, all we want to do. But the bottom line is, is both parties have had ample opportunity and ample times of control to address this, and they have not changed it. So what we really get at the heart of here, um, when we talk about the separations, which I don't think should be this full conversation, I think we should talk about the conditions at the border because that's the majority of what's being talked about. The majority of the social media outrage isn't about separations. It's actually about the, the claim that kids are kept in cages. Un Trump is keeping kids in cages on the border. That's something we need to address too. And I think it's actually something um, uh, that the two issues are getting conflated. And I think that needs to be addressed. But what I will say right now is that... <clears throat> That it is true that Trump is prosecuting more people who cross the border and is saying he has a zero tolerance policy, but that is not it. He didn't just write a new law. This is the law. Um, and what I will say is that, you know, we're in a situation where years ago, not that long ago in the Bush years, uh, the left protested family detention centers, wanted them all shut down. Uh, the one in Hutto got shut down. Like, you know, they said because it was abusive. It was abusive to keep families in that situation. Now they're saying you can't separate families. So what they're really saying is you can't detain anyone who illegally crosses our border. Yeah. Now, now, here's a catch, right? I make enough money. You make enough money. We're not rich, but we make enough money that our kids are fine, right? Our kids are cool. Your kid goes to public school. My kid's homeschooled. But you know what? Our kids are cool, right? We're, we're okay. We have enough resources. But the majority of people around us really don't have a lot of resources. And if you really want to have a policy where anyone from all of the nations, from Mexico, Honduras, Guatemala, Nic anyone in the world who comes to our border, we cannot detain. And we have to let into our society. 
put into our public school system, even if they come at the middle of the year, it doesn't matter. If, if a million of them show up in the middle of the year in Hockley County, we got to educate them. If, if, you wanna, if you think that situation is sustainable, uh, then okay. Uh, but I don't think that is a sustainable situation. Uh, and I think that, you know, we're in a situation where folks are criticizing family detentions if they're detained together. Can't do that. And you can't separate them. And you can't, I mean, you start to get to where, like, well, what can you do? Like, what are the realities here? Like, what can be done? Yeah. A lot hung out there. We're going to break that down in the next segment here on other side of texas cages prosecuted where does asylum play into that i've got a couple of questions myself based upon officials running for office in their responses here on this program brandon darby managing editor of breitbart texas in studio with us i told people earlier today i don't know anyone who has put in more time effort sweat and tears on the border and hey let's do a little uh let me air a little bit of friendship stuff here so you and i talk pretty much every day and i remember i had beto o'rourke on this program and beto o'rourke began to talk about really enforcing laws in light of asylum and not convoluting the two and i called you late i think it was like 10 one night brandon darby I said, you'll never believe what Beto O'Rourke told me today. And you wigged out on me. You said, hey, I can't think about that right now. I cannot think about, I do not want to think about that. Because you cover both sides of the border. Not just the American interests, but North Mexican people who are being run over right now. By cartel violence, by political indifference, this, that, and the other. And you told me, I don't want to talk about that right now. I can't talk about it. I'm about to go to bed. I don't want to think about this. I dream about it as I go to bed. How much does this issue matter to you? Well, I mean, it's all I think about almost, you know. Um, I think about it constantly. I'm constantly, uh, you know, as you know, we have a lot of, we run the Cartel Chronicles Project. We have a lot of writers in Mexico. Where can people find that? uh, We're just on Breitbart, Texas, and or you can Google Cartel Chronicles and it'll come up and you can read all the stories. But we, um, you know, we, we do a lot trying to help people in Mexico and tell their stories. Uh, we publish it in English and Spanish. We tell their stories. Uh, we allow them to publish under a pseudonym because they would get killed for what they're writing. You know, exposing cartels. Ours haven't yet, but but people in the networks have. Pretty and, important word you just use there, yet. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. You well, I mean, it. we sometimes, I mean, it, it's very, it's risky stuff. I mean, I'm a father. Um, you know, I sometimes I go into Mexico in a trunk of a car, you know, like because I don't want people who are associated with various cartels, uh, uh, factions of cartels to to see me entering the country and thereby putting my sources or my, my writers at risk. So, I, you know, it's a little difficult when you're a single dad and, and then you're going into a situation where you realize what could happen um, if someone realizes you're there and you have to trust a whole bunch of people that they didn't tell someone you were coming. Um, it, it, it's, it, it matters to me. Let's just put it that way, right? It's, it, it's, it's, it matters a lot to me. Um, and I think about it all day long. And that's why, you know, when I'm trying to go to bed at night, I have a hard enough time getting it out of my head um 
yeah, just the obsession with trying to help the people there. I have a hard enough time getting it out of my head. So I just, when I'm trying to go to bed and I finally get my head relaxed and someone calls and wants to talk about it, I just, I get pissed off, no. you know, and I'm like, God dang it. I'm <laughs> trying to go to bed and it's... you're trying to make me think about what no, I No, no, it goes like this. Day. I, I got to go, bro. I got to go. I, I can't think about that right now. I got to go, bro. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye. So, but here's, well, well, here's, so, so, but, so, uh, well, well, hold on, hold yeah. on. I sold you as a straight shooter on this issue. And I want to talk about this for just a moment. We have talked about what Trump is doing now, what the Trump administration is doing now, John Kelly, whoever else is involved, that they are absolute. I think that we can say factually that they are enforcing this rule of law more than previous administrations. Now, what I want to ask you is the places in which we are beginning to, and I've got some audio here in a moment of children in one of these facilities but the pictures that we see are these the same as the obama administration and laura bush wrote an op-ed in former first lady laura bush wrote an op-ed in the washington post did yeah, but she I don't, okay look, hold, hold, stop. Let, no no let, let me ask is, the question for a second go ahead did laura bush did the did the bush administration shut down facilities where children no. could be kept with their parents no the, okay. the bush administration did not but courts made the obama administration do it because of abuses that happened to family members and their kids under the bush administration i you know i'm, I'm trying to be nice about it but and i really do because a lot of my friends are, are vets a lot of my war vets a lot of them have wound are wounded warriors you know they they missing limbs and and i have a really hard time with the bushes you know like um, and especially when they interject in something like this, when you consider their behaviors on the borders and, and the abuses that happened in the immigration facilities under the Bushes, under the Bush administration. Um, it's just hard for me to, I, I get, I, here's what I think. Uh, you know, I, how do I say this nicely? There's no way to, I'll just say it. Not that long ago, several months ago, there were a bunch of tweets and news reports about George Bush painting all these wounded warriors who were maimed, right? maimed like half their faces gone their arms gone and he was painting these beautiful i think talented paintings of them and 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 the headlines on NBC and ABC were like George W Bush gives back to soldiers wounded in war and and i felt like tweeting quoting it and saying that's the least he could do considering what he did in Iraq you know considering that i mean you, you whether you like the war or not the reason he told us we were going to war turned out not to be true you know, and then it turns out like he really kind of knew it wasn't true. You know that there was a lot of effort made to to form the intelligence, and so all these people came back wounded. And I get why he wants to reform his image or or you know heal his historical uh, legacy. Yeah. Uh, and I see why the Bushes feel the need to get on radio and or put op eds out attacking somebody. But the truth is, that's what happened under their watch. A lot of horrible things happened under their watch, like. I think about the number of Iraqi children who don't have limbs under their watch because that guy didn't get his facts straight, you know? And and when I... I just don't really care what they have to say. So let's talk about other people who have... Who are, who are a little more reputable when it comes to human rights. Are the facilities that these children are being separated from their parents in, are they the same facilities that you saw in 2014? Well, again, people have to understand something. Like, so... So, one of the things I addressed yesterday on Twitter, it's, it did very well. It went viral. But 
one of the things people keep saying is that oh, that Trump is keeping children in cages on the border. Okay, well those those chain link facilities, right, the, that are inside of buildings, right, the chain link partitions, uh, you could call them cages. Uh, you you definitely could, but those are the exact same facilities that that Obama that were in the Border Patrol processing centers under Obama. Explain for just and, and mention. Uh, me, you got to let me finish this thought because okay. now I'm going to get accused of what aboutism. Well, Obama did it. That's not what I'm saying. So what I'm saying is, is that if you're just now coming to the to the show and you're saying, look, Trump's keeping children in cages, it's a very dishonest thing to say because those are the same cages, if you want to use that terminology, that were used under Obama. And what I mean by that is if you want to say the U.S. is keeping children in cages, you, you, you could make that argument, but... And it, it's, it, but it's not legitimate to put it on the feet of Trump and not to also call out Obama or to call out George Bush. The pro, those are processing centers. No children in the U.S. are being made to live in cages. That is a complete bald-faced lie. That is not true. There are processing centers on the border. The Rio Grande Valley sector has nine of them. Okay, Every person who is arrested on the border gets put into the processing center first. Their names get checked. They get checked for different diseases. They get um, made sure that they're hydrated, that they get food, and they're all put in facilities. In those facilities, because of the mass numbers of people, it's a giant room, like a gymnasium, and the gymnasium is separated by partitions that are made out of chain link. The reason they're made out of chain link is because, A, they need airflow, and B, because it, there's so few agents or, or federal officials in the facilities in order to watch everyone, they have to have something they can see through. And the reason they don't put them all together in one big building is because you have a lot of adults. You, you can't really just catch a bunch of adults crossing the border and you don't know who they are and catch a bunch of kids and go, hey, you guys go in this one big room together. We're going to turn out the lights night night. You can't do that for obvious reasons, right? So, so that's what's going on. After they're, they're, they're triaged or processed in the processing center very quickly, albeit, then they're taken by, by human services, and those human, they're brought to a, a nice facility where they have a bed, and they have, so they're not living in cages, being kept in cages. It's an inaccurate terminology, and it's something that, that media is doing, and, and that needs to be separated uh, from the issue of separations. You know, are separations something Obama engaged in heavily? No, because he didn't enforce the law. Um, were children kept in cages by the standards that they're trying to say Trump's doing it? Yes, they were under Obama, but I still don't think it's very accurate to use the terminology. Okay, so two questions before we head into the next break. Just to make sure that I'm right here, these same facilities have been in use for 20 years. Is that accurate uh, to say? Most of them have, yeah. yeah. And the second is, is the Trump administration the first, between George W. Bush, Barack Obama, the first administration to really go in at child separation? No. So, so Bush, under Bush, a lot of the families stayed together because he had detention centers for the families. Then there was a court case that said they can't do that anymore. And under the existing law, so Obama said, well, I'm just going to shut down. I'm just going to not prosecute people. That way I don't have to separate them. 
Trump says, no, if you violate the law, we're a nation of laws, we're going to prosecute you. So he has to separate them. Do you think it's, that, it's really that simple. I don't support the family separation. I don't like it. I think, I think Congress needs to act and change the laws so that, so that following the rule of law doesn't result in separation. That's what I think. But to hear John Kelly, as we played that audio clip at the beginning of this, you can hear it on our Apple podcast here, other side of Texas. But John Kelly said that this would be an effective deterrent to get caravans or otherwise from going across Mexico into the U.S. Do you think that it is an apparently there are people who believe that this is an effective deterrent that these children will be taken away from you and we're going to use the letter of law. I'm not dismissing at all. This is the law of the land and the Trump administration is accessing the law. Do you think it is an effective deterrent do i think it's an effective deterrent yes is it a deterrent i would use no is it so then the question becomes is it moral and you're saying no it's legal but is it moral uh i don't think people should be separated um but at the same time is it is it moral of a parent to come here and put their kid in the situation i mean is it more okay i have a question is it moral if i go if I commit a crime, is it moral? Is it moral that my daughter does has a dad who's incarcerated? You know, let's let's look at it like that. Let's not just you know, you know. I'm constantly reminding people to remember the humanity of migrants, and to not use language or or, or tones that really dehumanize migrants. And so I think that that in, in in that I think we ought to also talk about let's talk about all people who get incarcerated, and and are separated from their children. No. You know, you got questions along the way, 806-745-5800. Queenie, we're about to fire off a break here in just a moment. But back to this issue of deterring John Kelly. One thing he said that I've heard you say before is that most females who embark on this journey are sexually assaulted. It's, that's, that's true. That's not Breitbart's reporting. That's Breitbart and HuffPo. That's the United Nations Office of Refugee Resettlement. That's Amnesty International. I mean, I could go down the line of, and, and what numbers they use. His number was higher than, than, than I believe. He said 90%. Uh, Trump said 80%. He said, he said all. Uh, I don't know about all. I, I wouldn't say that. I would say, uh, you know, Huffington Post ran with uh, a women's rights group that said it was 80%. Uh, Amnesty International. If I'm, I'm again, I'm quoting from my head, but Amnesty International, I believe they said 30% admit it, which means obviously it would be much higher from a culture where that's no. just shameful. Um, uh, I think the UN said 60%. They estimate um, the president of Honduras, his wife, when she was here during 2014, she said 80% of the women she spoke with had had those experiences. Um, I mean, you know, so so the 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 super majority of of women who come from Central America are sexually assaulted in the process of getting across in our border. In seeking asylum, in coming to our border. Okay, so in seeking okay. asylum under our current laws, the way that we do it, where we but, say, "Hey, set your foot on our soil and ask for asylum," and that's okay. And under under those laws, yes, that the the. To get here, they have to go through transnational criminal. Yeah, and so back to the Democrat thing. Even today, you as editor of Breitbart Texas signed off on a story that there was a woman who came across with a child and claimed to two, be two children, I believe. Okay, 
regardless, she claimed to be the parent, and she proved to not be the parent. So even there, there's gray. I mean, I think my point there is that people need to understand that there's a gray on both sides of this issue. You cannot just give amnesty in the general sense of the word to people who are on one side of the issue and then say the other side is completely wrong. You know, so here's how I look at this. I've, you know, you have to understand. I, I went from a period in my life where I was very involved with intimately with the left, right? And then I went through a period where I was very involved intimately with the right. I was very close with Andrew Breitbart. I was very close with Steve Bannon. You know, um, I, I've, you know, I got to see someone go and become the senior advisor to the White House, who was in my life on a daily basis for many, many years, and uh, and he stayed in my life, right? Um, so I'm at a point with politics where I really don't, I don't really. I don't really identify as a Republican and I don't identify as a Democrat. I, uh, I feel very disgusted with most people in politics and most political leaders. Uh, and I feel very discouraged with, with actually getting changes done on a large level. Uh, I've gone more to the local level stuff. So I, I don't really, if I see Republicans doing something stupid or saying something that's not right, I'm going to call them out for it. And if I see Democrats doing it, I'm going to call them out for it. And right now I see Republicans and Democrats calling Trump out for stuff that I really don't I don't think it's actually legitimate. I do think it's great that people are outraged and unhappy seeing these images of the border uh, and, and the facilities and, and what the realities are surrounding our de facto system of an open border, which is what we have for the most part. Um, I do think that it's great that they're upset because I'm upset about it and I have been for years. Um, I, I also think... But quantify for people how long that's been. You broke pictures of kids in quote unquote cages, 2014. But how long before that? Oh, I was when Andrew was still alive. I was running a shelter for human trafficking victims. Most of them spoke Spanish. Most of them were were helping law enforcement to prosecute the people who had trafficked them. That was in I don't know 2009, 10, yeah. 11. And what I began to realize was that law enforcement was getting a bunch of people who were low level but most of the shots were being called from people in Mexico that's what led me to the border that's why I began covering it so I began covering it from a, a human trafficking a sex trafficking and exploitation standpoint I didn't begin covering it from you know uh, uh, numbers USA like stop immigration standpoint by any means uh, I began covering it from a humanitarian standpoint So, but this is important for listeners to understand is that Ten years ago, you're running shelters for people who need shelter, and you come up with a common theme with a lot of these folks, and it's the border, and that's what leads you to the border. Well, it le- what, what it leads me to is is cartels, transnational criminal organizations, and um, that's what it led me to, and, and, and the border is related to that. Um, uh, and what I began to see was a lot of stuff. I just didn't think that what was going on there was being told. I felt like what Border Patrol agents experienced weren't be, wasn't being told. What U.S. communities experienced wasn't being told. Uh, and then over time, I began to realize that what was happening in Mexico wasn't being told. Um, so, you know, the way that I decided to handle that was to try to be a voice for Border Patrol agents and make sure their stories were told, while at the same time trying to be a voice for 
people in Mexico, some of them migrants, and make sure their stories were told. And I felt like in the process of doing that, that's why someone could look at Breitbart, Texas and say, well, well, some of your stories seem very compassionate about migrants, and some of them are calling out sex offenders who got caught on the border. And I'm like, I try to tell all the what's going on. Like, I try to tell... I feel like in the process of, of allowing all of these different people from that region to have a voice, you know, uh, they have to be a factual, but a, but a largely unfiltered voice from my political lens, right? I feel like that's the best way for people to, see, to, to, to determine for themselves what's occurring rather than me always trying to tell them with my, with my which adjectives I use in a story, you know? Okay, so in your 10 years of experience, Brand Darby, I want to get back in with you and... We're going to listen to a little audio, and then we're going to get into pragmatic policy solutions via Brandon Darby. Right. Brandon Darby, managing editor of Breitbart, Texas, a uh, border activist on the south side and the north side. We are talking, if you're just joining us, talking about migrant child separations. Brandon Darby, ProPublica comes out with this audio today. I want to play it for you. I want to play for you children in these facilities, and I want to ask you a question about a better way. Okay, so that's a small snippet. So here's my deal. I'm a high challenge, high support guy. And this is what I don't understand, Brandon. We have National Guard ready to go anymore. We've got big fluctuations of people on the federal and state level that are ready to hit any situation help resolve it. Do we not have some... I don't know, thousand immigration judges that are ready to go to the border right now and mitigate these cases? No. Why not? Um, well, having them wasn't prioritized by any administration or by Congress. I mean, you know, should not, it be? Of course, it should be. Like you know, this is this is a situation, right? We're in a, a conundrum. We're in a, a bit of a catch here, and I'm gonna tell you why. Morally, is it okay to keep kids, to even put kids in something that resembles a dog kennel? No. Of course it's not. You know? But the only other option, there's two other options. One is just let kids randomly cross the border and don't even interact with them. Or the second option is to put them in a room with adults that they don't know and you don't know. Is that okay? No. Would that be morally okay? No. So, you know, if you ask me, like, is it morally okay? It's like, no. But I don't know if any of the other options are either. But I'll take B out of A, B, and C. I mean, that, now we have to get into what's least morally messed up, right? Yeah. What's least morally messed up. You know, uh, we're, called, uh, we're called to honor the so sojourner. You know, I am at least. I'm called to think of the least of these. I'm also called to be a good steward of my money and be wise. I'm also called to respect the law of the land. I mean, what do you do? You know, not black and white. Yeah. You know, um, you know, some people on the right don't want more immigration. I'm not. I'm not that guy. You know, I don't. I don't think more immigration is bad. I don't think worker programs are bad. I think we actually need them. 
but and, we don't uh, have the infrastructure in place. Well, I, it's not so much that. Uh, you know, it, again, we can do a lot of things. We can, if we can topple a country or topple Saddam Hussein. You know, to go back to the Bushes um, references, uh, we can we can do a lot of things, right? Like we're, we're capable of doing a lot of things if we prioritize it. But 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 the ultimate problem here, and and again, I'm gonna sound like Obama saying this. Uh, when he talked about the Middle East, and there was a bit of truth in what he said, even though he probably should have not spoken so far out and also put it in some context. The bottom line here is that with Canada, we have a, a parallel, a, a, a symbiotic. A, a, I'm not gonna say symbiotic. We have a we have a nation on our border with Canada that um, that has a, a similar economy. You know where there's there's uh, accumulated wealth. And, and it's it's well distributed distributed through the free hand right has distributed wealth in, in a decent way a nation of laws um, where no one person has been allowed to dictate the whole show uh, and, and take advantage of others for the most part just like we have here um, with Mexico we don't have that um, and that's why uh, we have a need for a strong border enforcement it's because of what occurs in Mexico that comes here if we don't have that border enforcement. Um, in this situation, ultimately, the ideal would be to have a situation with Mexico like we have with Canada, right? It'd be ideally to have a situation where Mexico's doing very well. Mexico's okay. Mexico has economic opportunities. Uh, that would rob the cartels of a lot of young men who join them or help them or traffic drugs for them because they would have more opportunities. They'd have other things to do with their lives. That's the ultimate goal. And until that happens, we're going to always have problems like this. We're always going to be in this conundrum. Now, on one hand, when people live in that situation, you feel the more obligation to accept them in and take them. I understand. I do too. Um, I also look at it and go, you know, if everywhere in the world that sucks, if we allow all of the smartest, brightest, and most ambitious people to have a better life just to come here so easily, what does that leave in their their birth nation? You know? Like imagine a Mexico if everybody had to stay there and fix it. You know? If all the people who had the drive and the courage to come across that border like people do, the ambition for a better life, had to stay and fix it, and they didn't have the pressure release valve, the Mexican government and the cartels didn't have the pressure release valve of, oh, if it gets bad enough, they'll just go to the U.S. Imagine what would happen. You know, so what's the moral thing to do? I don't know. You know, I don't really know. I mean, obviously in a situation like what occurred in, in Nazi Germany, like the moral thing to do in that situation would be to take people. But is that what's occurring there? No, it's not. You know, are there horrible things occurring? Yes. You know, so, so all of these situations that we're in and we're talking about right now, they're kind of a, you know, it, it puts us in a bit of a catch, right? Like what, what do you do? What is the true moral thing to do? I know that no one who comes here illegally comes without paying cartels and fueling the very systems that cause the problems they're running from in the first place. I know that. So to me, I think we need to do something, anything, all things within reason to stop our current de facto system of, of fueling cartels with illegal immigration.
Um, you know, that's how I look at it. Um, other people have very different views on what to do and how to handle it. And, and there's some legitimacy in what they say. I look at the drug war. I don't think we should end the drug war. Uh, there's a lot of people who think we should end the drug war, and they have very valid reasons, and they make arguments that I can't address, just like I make arguments they can't address, you know? And I think if we'd, we'd stop the pointing and go, Trump's doing this, when, when really it's, Obama did it too. You know, like, and that's not saying what about is, and what I'm saying is, stop trying to use this suffering and this horrible situation for your party's political gain. And let's just acknowledge what's going on, acknowledge that we all have fault in it, you know, or that both sides have a lot of fault in it, and let's try to address it, right, rather than making it a political wedge issue. But that's not what's happening. What's happening is just like we saw, and, and I'm going to call the left out here. I'm going to call journalists out. Trump made a comment. He said 80% of women are, are sexually assaulted uh, on the way here. The media mocked him. CNN mocked him. And they, they, they made fun of him for making up this figure without facts. And then it turned out what he said was true. There was all that outrage for 48 hours. Where did it go? Have you seen any more reports about it? You haven't? No. Okay, so they thought they had something to attack Trump with. And when they didn't, they said, you know what, let's just drop this. And rather than Trump being right, let's just ignore. Let's just not even talk about how 80% of the women who come here from Central America are sexually assaulted. Let's just not even talk about it. So they dropped it. And, that, you know, what I'm looking at here is we have midterms coming up. you got Beto, you know, like pumping it. And, you know, Beto, who not very long ago was telling migrants it's safe at the border. It's okay. It's safe. You know, got into Congress. What did he do to change this? I don't, I don't see anything. You know, and so now he's he's going. You got the midterms coming. You have these elections coming, and so they're going to make this big issue. And as soon as it's over, I have a suspicion they're going to drop it like a hot potato, just like they did the. I mean, if they're willing to drop the fact that like up to eighty percent of migrant women from Central America are sexually assaulted trying to get into this country, if they're willing to overlook that and just turn the blind eye. Like, they'll turn a blind eye to, like, kids, like, being separated temporarily from their parents. They'll do it. You know? Think about it. He is Brandon Darby. Going to get into our last segment here. And coming up, we're going to talk about the fourth estate of American government, the journalist estate, and uh, listen to Brandon Darby be posing questions about how that can be better handled by the media going forward. Brandon Darby here on other side of tech. So that audio clip, if you're just joining us, we played an audio clip at the top of the last segment of children calling out for mom and dad in these facilities. Brandon Darby, um, here's, I mean, you're clued in with border patrol agents and security agents. Have you heard from anybody over the last week who said, I'm just going to quit my job? I mean, this is terrible. No. Okay. No, I mean, you know, it, it is terrible. It's a horrible situation, you know, and it's a situation that parents hopefully will avoid avoid bringing their children into. Um, the entire situation is awful. I, you know, there's nothing pretty. I've screamed about it for years. There's nothing humanitarian, nice, or pretty about what's happening on the border. And this is where we go back to Beto. You know, the border's safe. It's happy. It's a, no, it's not. You know, there's nothing nice about what's well, going but on. For listener context, when you talk about the border, you mean the southern side. No. And the northern side. I mean the, the entire border region. Yeah. 
And if, so you're and taking if you out don't, like a, you're taking out a multi-mile span on both sides. Is what I'm trying to draw. To I, I'm, I'm correct. I'm I'm talking about the border. Yeah. Not because just a lots little of people section. Hear the border yeah. and they think about the Rio or they think about just a line. You are not talking about a line. You're talking no, about, talking about the overall community. Now, here, now, see, this is the thing. Like with El Paso, and we'll go back to Beto because he's just because. El Paso and Juarez call themselves sister cities. Beto and others are always like, we're, we're one community, we're one community. But then when it comes to crime rates, they only want to talk about half of that one community, the U.S. side. Okay, so let me so, no, so So the issue is, if you're going to talk about the border region, then talk about the border region because it is, it is a region. But has Cruz talked about the border region? I don't know if he has to some extent. Okay, I just wanted uh, you know, to be I've, fair. I've actually, he has to some extent, but Cruz also doesn't lie and say the border is okay. safe. Right. If Beto means our little sliver of the border is safe, even though a lot of areas aren't, he should say that. Yep. But by saying the border is safe, it, it's very misleading. And what it does is it's saying, hey, I, I'm gonna, I don't want to support a right of center narrative for border security. So I'm going to I'm going to tell a half truth or not even a half truth a, a quarter truth, and I'm gonna de- I'm gonna basically say oh these reports are all bull like there's nothing bad happening here no pasa nada that's what they do in Mexico, yeah. you know that, I don't find that to be okay and so, and, and it, when, when it comes to Cruz on the border I could probably find some criticisms of him but he's not the one going around saying it's safe when my life work is to show people how bad it really is okay let's segue then yesterday your tweet. Breaking colon U.S. I'll come back to colon here in just a minute. But uh, breaking colon U.S. journalists decide they care about what migrants experience at border after years of not giving matter that comes out of a colon. How disrupted are you right now that all of a sudden this is the drive? And it's we're going on what 96 hours now of U.S. media being concerned about non-humanitarianism at the U.S. border. How? What, what do you mean? I mean, I, I think it's great that people are talking about it, but like I said a minute ago, the last time this came up, as soon as they realized it wasn't going to help them politically, they dropped it like a hot potato. So there's been a systemic problem with U.S. journalists constantly saying they're the voice for the voiceless, talking about how the right hates migrants, the right hates brown people, the right is racist, they're the ones who really love people. But yet the right are the only ones... I'm, my team is the only one going into Mexico. The AP got rid of their reporter to report on Tamaulipas, which is a state immediately south of Texas, which is the most violent in the world. In fact, our State Department just declared that it's as violent there as it is in Syria or Somalia. It's the same security protocols that the State Department personnel have to go through. It's that bad. And they don't report it. Hmm. You know? Mainstream media doesn't report it. So it's very frustrating to me. But what's really offensive to me, and this is where I'm going to fight back, and this is why I tried to stay out of it. You'll notice, the f- you're right, it's been about 96 hours or so, and most of those hours I kept silent about it. I just watched. But it started to get bastardized in such a way that I decided I wasn't going to be silent anymore. You don't, you don't get to come in and imply that I don't care about people or the border, or that Breitbart doesn't care about the border or people or migrants. The right doesn't care about migrants 
when in fact my actions prove I care. My actions, not my words, my actions for many years of my life show that I care. And their actions, or their inaction, proves that they don't. Actions speak louder than words, buddy. Not to be cliche, but they do. And they've been silent. And they've been silent. They've ignored, they've ignored systemic rapes of migrant women. They've ignored, largely ignored bodies. You know, that, like, man, thousands of migrant bodies over the last several years that have been found dead in desert regions of the border, they've largely ignored it. You know, and, and sure, they can send me some little, they can send me some little, um, uh, <clears throat> you know, say, no, we wrote about it five years ago. You can send me a one-off, but the reality is, is it's been ignored. Hmm. You know, there's been more stories about Stormy Daniel than there have been about what migrants go through. No. That's just the reality. Hmm. Brandon Darby, Breitbart, Texas. I want to thank him for making time to come in to the other side of Texas. Got uh, tomorrow, Scott Braddock, Forum Report Editor, coming on. Talk to us about what's going on at the Republican Convention of Texas. And then on Wednesday, we have my friend, Ross Ramsey, executive editor of the Texas Tribune, and Thomas Mooney at New Slang uh, here in Lubbock. Going to come on and give us a little critique of our bumper music, what we should be playing instead. Quinny, you need to keep notes on that one. Right, get us get us up to state on that. So, for Brandon Darby, for Queenie Catherine Wilkes, uh, Jay West Texas Lisa, you can hear this audio up. Appreciate you tuning in and telling friends and sharing audio from other side of Texas. We'll see you right here tomorrow, AM 580 Love.